Well, hey, everyone, and good morning. Welcome to uh, Resurrection City Church. Uh, special welcome to you if you're visiting with us here today. It's, it's your first time or you're visiting because of uh, child dedications, uh, whether here in person or you're watching online because of that. Uh, just want to say special welcome to you. Thankful to have you with us on this morning, which is just really exciting. It's, it's awesome to uh, sort of celebrate, you know, you know, uh, you know, the preaching we do here on Sunday mornings, you know, primarily, you know, we're thinking about uh, the formation and the growth of, of the adults but as a church, and I think I've learned this more and more as we've had more and more kids. We started Res City. Uh, we didn't have a lot of kids, and we've like tripled kids in, the, in a few years. Um, and, and it's been fun for me to sort of just see the kids uh, be a part of the church as well and to sort of think that way. And so it's fun and awesome to really celebrate what God has done in the lives of those parents and to anticipate what he will do in the lives of those children as well. And, you know, I know I can speak for me and Julie and, and many other people. We're just excited to see what God is going to continue to do uh, in their lives as we watch them grow old together. Um, Let me pray for us, and then we will uh, get started with the sermon. Lord, thank you for bringing us together on this Sunday morning. Um, Whatever our reason is for being here, whether we're a normal attender, we're visiting, uh, we're checking out for the first time, pray that you would just bless us as we spend time uh, looking at Jesus, uh, which we're doing... um, with a, with a special focus in this, in this sermon series, but uh, something that we, we want to do every week, Lord. Help us to have wisdom and to knowledge of what it, uh, as to what it looks like to follow him in the area that we'll be discussing today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we are in the middle of a uh, sermon series that we've been doing this fall, uh, which we're calling Rebuilding Around Jesus. And kind of the big idea is a lot of people are asking hard questions of the faith. Uh, maybe deconstructing is a word you hear a lot of times. Uh, among a lot of people. And um, we thought, you know, let's take some time. Let's start with Jesus, and let's, you know, we can maybe strip Christianity down to the studs, go back to the central point, the central figure, uh, the central belief of Christianity, and ask, as we build up on certain topics, you know, what does it mean to build specifically from Jesus? And so we've been doing that in this series on a bunch of different um, areas. And so as we've been going, we've been getting a good picture of who Jesus was. Uh, and, and that's been part of, you know, me and Julie's goal is to really give us maybe a fresh perspective on Jesus himself. Um, and one of the things I think if you've been, you know, following the series uh, that you've noticed that Jesus is someone who's very on brand, <laughs> if you know that, you know, like he, he's, he's very consistent at sort of um, again and again, sort of living and talking about the things that he finds to be essential to his message. They sort of come out in all sorts of different ways, uh, no matter the interaction that he has. And uh, we, we see this at the very beginning of his ministry, too. Um, so, you know, it's a Saturday. It's the Sabbath. Jesus is, is going to go into the synagogue, as is his custom, uh, in his hometown, sort of gathered together with all these people that have known him since he was a child and have watched him grow up to the place that he's at now. And, and every synagogue service included a weekly reading from the scrolls of uh, Torah, uh, from the prophets, and then a message from them. So they were spent sort of uh, uh, reasoning through and being encouraged and exhorted by the Jewish scriptures. Uh, we don't know everything that happened in a Sabbath gathering at a synagogue, but it does seem like um, people, uh, there wasn't necessarily one person who spoke every week. Different people could come up and sort of give an exhortation or a message uh, as part of that. And so on this Sabbath, Jesus decides he's going to do that. And we find this in Luke 4, uh, and let me read to you the beginning of this. So Jesus, this is, he went up to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood, up to the re- he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. 
Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And he goes on to quote uh, something specifically from the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he's quoting what we now call, because they didn't have chapters and verses uh, in Jesus' time, he's quoting from Isaiah 61, 1 to 2, and then Isaiah 58, 6. So he quotes these two sections in the, in the prof, from the prophet Isaiah that we've talked about in this series too. We've talked about the importance of this part of Isaiah for sort of the expectation and hope of Jewish people in Jesus' time for God returning uh, to Israel and sort of liberating them, rescuing them from what's been going on in their circumstances. And remember, we talked about this as a story, right? As a story that, that, the, that Jesus saw himself sort of living in of release from captivity, of undoing of the effects of exile and sin for Israel. So Jesus finishes quoting this, and he rolls up the scroll, he gives it back to the attendant, and he sits down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. I think they're waiting for him to give a comment on what he just read, and he hasn't done that yet. But then he began saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Okay? So he kind of has like a bit of a mic drop moment here, right? He, it's, you know, he kind of is sitting, people are waiting to hear what he's going to have to say, and instead of sort of, you know, telling them, you know, have hope, like we've always talked about, or, you know, this is what God is going to do, this is who God is, he's saying, hey, this is happening now. And jaws obviously drop, right? That's not what you expect someone to say when they get up and read uh, from a scroll on a normal uh, synagogue service. And people, like, they know this guy, right? So they're like, who, who is this guy? This is Joe and Mary's kid, right? Like, we, what did he just say? Now, we're not going to get into what he continues on to say, but he, he gets into a conversation about how this will happen. And he actually refers back to Elisha and Elijah, several prophets. Um, and he actually, you know, uh, makes some people pretty angry. He starts an angry mob when he starts to get into, you know, what, what, uh, what the prophets say about the Gentiles coming in. And he kind of gets himself into a little bit of trouble. But, but for, for today, what I want to talk about is I want to focus on the seriousness of Jesus' use of Scripture to define his identity and his mission, all right? And so that's our big topic today. Like I said, we've been going through different sort of issues or topics that people are wrestling through and asking questions about, and we're rebuilding off of Jesus. And today, we're going to talk about specifically Scripture, now, a lot, I know a lot of people are asking questions, they're asking hard questions because they've maybe discovered loose ends in Scripture, things that don't make perfect sense, it doesn't tie together neatly everywhere for them. Or maybe it's not quite as cohesive as they thought always, when they were learning in Sunday school, perhaps, like how all the stories fit together. Um, they're asking questions on, you know, how much should Scripture inform us on in terms of how we live our lives? How much should it tell us what to do? How much does it not tell us what to do? Uh, and a lot of people have encountered maybe misuse of Scripture. They've seen it sort of used to ends that are not necessarily, uh, you know, easily discernible for how this is, you know, looks Christian in any way, right? Now, none of these questions are actually new. I think we have this sort of 
uh, impulse, probably every generation does, to think the things that they're wrestling through are brand new. No one's ever thought of these questions before. When in reality, we do know that even going back to the very early church, some of these same questions uh, were around for people. Like questions like, what do we do with all the violence in the Old Testament? Um, what do we do when we don't know who wrote all these books necessarily? Like, what do we do, you know, with the fact that we're not totally sure if all this stuff happened historically the way it's presented, right? And so I think that's just a good place for us to be reminded. We don't have to necessarily fear asking these hard questions, fear the questions we might have, because the church has been wrestling through them kind of from the start. Um, But in the spirit of this this series, I I do want to ask us, what does Jesus have to say about Scripture? And use that as a basis for us to sort of uh, build our understanding of how we should also think of Scripture. Now, this passage, among many others, sort of clues us into the fact that pretty much everything Jesus does is part of a larger story. Right? He's not just making up what he does as he goes. He's drawing on the Jewish scriptures to inform what he does, how he thinks about himself and what he's doing. And, and, and he sees himself as sort of living at the culmination point or the fulfillment of the story that the Jewish scriptures are telling. Okay? And, and I'm not just saying we say this about Jesus, right? Because we do. Christians always say this about Jesus. But I'm saying it's very clear when you really read the Gospels that this is what he believed about himself. And so a passage we've, we've talked about several times in this series, another example, Luke 15, the imagery of the shepherd that's coming to gather these lost sheep who've been scattered off in the distance. Uh, you know, Jesus is describing his intentions and his mindset, but he's using a, a passage of scripture to sort of uh, inform his own actions, which shows a sort of controlling sense over what he's doing that scripture has in his life. And, and, and just like we talked about how he starts his ministry off, when we fast forward to the very end, we find it coming full circle again, right? Uh, in Luke 24, uh, uh, Jesus appears to some disciples. They don't actually recognize him right away. They don't realize he's been raised again from the dead. But he talks about how all of the Jewish scriptures testify to him, right? So now he's giving full-on lectures to people sort of about the ways in which all of scripture is testifying to what he's doing. And so here's what we learn about Jesus as we ask how he views the scriptures. And it's really hard to avoid this point if we just read the gospels through, is he takes them very, very, very seriously. They inform how he views the world, how he thinks of himself, and how he sort of uh, lives his life. He thought it spoke, it acted in the world, and it accomplished its purpose, right? If not, otherwise, what confidence would he have had that he'd be successful maybe going and poking his finger in the eyes of these elites that he, he lived around? Uh, it w- he thought it was true about the way that the world was. Otherwise, why would he embrace the narrative of Scripture to the point where he was willing to die for it? Uh, he thought it had authority to inform him on how he ought to live. He had, thought he had a, 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 an obligation to obey what it said. Otherwise, why would if he have been obedient, again, to death? Right? It's hard to explain that. And I think he viewed it ultimately as coming from God himself and believed that it was the way that God viewed the world. Otherwise, how could he believe that what he was telling people would actually prove itself to be true in the end? Okay, It all all shows us that he had a very serious view of Scripture. And without that, this movement that he's starting has no meaning. There's really no good, solid way to ground its origin. There's no design, no purpose, and ultimately no connection back to God, unless you're doing it by way of the Jewish Scriptures. This is very, very clear. For him, it was sort of the controlling narrative. It gave his ministry shape. And I don't think it's, you can really properly understand what Jesus is up to unless you are 
understanding the scriptures from which he's basing it all on. Now, for me, and I've talked a little bit about this in this series, I've gone through periods in my life where I've asked hard questions of the faith too, right? You could say I was deconstructing in different periods in my life, and I came across a lot of the same questions that people are asking of Scripture too. Um, you know, uh, in training for ministry, I, I came across different loose ends, like about how, uh, you know, Scripture didn't always cohere with what I learned growing up in Sunday school, right? Or, or sometimes we find what does seem pretty clearly, to be pre-modern views about, you know, the way that the world is in in the minds of these pre-modern people. They didn't think like us today. They didn't have all the knowledge of how the world worked that we do today. Uh, I came to realize that books that take place earlier may have been written later on, um, or finalized at least later on. And no, for me, one of the big ones was, you know, I always loved the book of Daniel and how there's this line of prophecy. And I thought, this sure, you know, seems to prove that this book is from God because Daniel says these prophecies that all, you know, pretty clearly track with history as we understand it. And then I realize a lot of scholars think this was probably written after the fact. This wasn't actually written beforehand. Now, whether or not that's true or not, that was a tough thing for me to sort of square, like to ask myself the question, well, what do I do with that information? How do I, you know, have a sense um, that, that, that what I'm believing when I read scripture and I'm, at, you know, having it inform my thinking, inform who I am, can actually be trusted. And I had to figure out how to wrestle through all of that and make sense of it if I was going to treat it as a book that was going to continue to give my life purpose and meaning, right? To help me understand the world, that, the, the, uh, the, way, you know, the way that the world is. And, and in the midst of my sort of asking these questions in wrestling, a realization really gave me ease. And I just want to pass this on to you. Okay, and here's what it was. If Jesus rose from the dead... And we believe that, there, you know, that makes a lot of sense of the history. And if you have a question about that, go ahead and ask it. We'll do a Q&R uh, at the very end of the service, and I can give you some reasons why I think it makes a lot of sense historically that Jesus raised from the dead. But let's just say that he was. Then we've got to take that guy really seriously. It's a big deal. It's about as big a deal as anything else that's happened in human history. Okay? And so I need to take him seriously. If I take Jesus seriously, I have to take what he says about himself and, the, and what he's doing seriously as well, okay? Because it doesn't happen in a vacuum, his resurrection. It happens in a context of what he is doing and saying about himself. So if I took that seriously, that meant I had to take scripture seriously because Jesus took it very serious. And that meant that no matter what, like I had to take scripture seriously as well. And so I think this is sort of a, a building point for us as Christians in the midst of asking hard questions about Scripture is that it, Jesus took the story of Scripture seriously, and if we're going to follow him, we should too. Now, uh, I think that this is an, an important thing for us to sort of ground our faith on about Scripture and what we believe about it instead of on uh, Scripture itself, because what it does is it gives us a sort of solid and a secure place to ask questions about Scripture from right? Because we don't have to fear that if we do find some loose thread, we can't, you know, reconcile it very cleanly. It doesn't make sense, uh, you know, v- you know very, very easily. That's not going to make the whole thing fall apart because this total coherence of everything in Scripture is not what we're building our faith on. We're building on Jesus. Jesus is the foundation point, not Scripture itself. All right, if the, if the story of Scripture is really culminating in this moment of Jesus come to earth, then no other point of Scripture needs to necessarily be load-bearing, right? It, it, the load-bearing point of it is Jesus himself. 
And I realized that that allowed me to be a lot more open-handed on loose ends of Scripture and to have patience and, and hope and trust that as I asked questions about it, I would, you know, not have to worry about losing my faith entirely in the midst of that, okay? If it, you know, if we found loose ends, if it reflected a pre-modern view in some way, if we find out that someone else wrote it, it wasn't the person who said that, that, that wrote it actually did, none of that was going to make my faith fall apart because it was resting on Jesus himself. And Jesus took scripture seriously, and so I could too without it making perfect sense. I could rest that on Jesus and his view of scripture instead, okay? And that was just a really important moment for me. It kind of gave me, like, it took pressure off of me to really engage hard with these different questions that I was asking about Scripture. All right? Now, again, just a reminder, we're going to do question and response after the service. If you would like to um, send in a question about anything I talk about, including some, maybe some hard questions you have of Scripture, I can do my best uh, to try to respond to it. Uh, go to our website, rescitychurch.org, and you can submit questions on, on there. Okay, so go ahead. Ask questions or on cracks in the Scripture. I'll do my best to answer it. Or just punt and say, you know what? If this doesn't make sense, I'm actually okay with that. Okay, so anyway, go ahead and please do that. But for the rest of the sermon, what I want to do is I want to talk about what it looks like for us to take Scripture seriously like Jesus, okay? Because I think, again, if we're going to respond to this and follow Jesus, we have to take Scripture seriously. But it's good for us to have some guidance or knowledge of what that looks like. Because I think there's good examples and there's bad examples in Christian history. And I want to start by talking a little bit about how we got to the point that we're at here uh, today, okay? Just we're going to do a little bit of like a sidebar of history right now, okay? So essentially, a, a lot of the language and a lot of the ways that we have heard the Bible talked about um, in, in American Christianity the last hundred years have sort of come from a specific place or a specific time. Okay, and so back in the early 1900s, there were sort of two perceived threats to Christianity. Um, the historical study of the Bible, which was happening in a lot of academies and universities, and then Darwin's origin of the species. These were kind of, you know, big things that were going on that were making people ask hard questions that they never had to ask. Now, many American and European Protestants didn't really see any issues with either of these. I can't speak to Catholics at the same time, but my guess is they probably were pretty similar. But there were a vocal group of people within at least American Protestantism who kind of did have some major issues with it. And, and, and there's some evidence that they were maybe, maybe spurred on by some people in Darwin's orbit, but that kind of is besides the point. And so they viewed it as sort of their uh, job to sort of get out in front of this. They, they, thought, they thought these things that were, you know, are, are coming out are going to completely ruin Christianity, and so we got to get out in front of these things. And they started a sort of movement that has really lasted up until today, still influences us today. So in the early 1900s, you had these pamphlets that got mailed all around the United States called the Fundamentals. It's actually where we get the word fundamentalist, is from these, these pamphlets that were sent around and sort of had, you know, these are the fundamentals of what you need to believe about Scripture in order to be a Christian. That's kind of the, the point of them. Um, and, and sort of, you know, that, that, that's just a, a sense of that movement, but it's happening kind of in a lot of different ways. And the key parts of this movement are like a literal reading of the end times, and this is where we actually get what we call today now sort of dispensational premillennialism and the idea of the rapture. It's actually when this starts, is, is around this time. Um, there's a very, very heavy focus on a literal six-day creation, very anti-evolution in its movement. Um, it's very pro-capitalism and anti-communism. Uh, and this is when we start to see the word inerrancy start to pop up in, 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 as a descriptor of the Bible. Okay? And basically what it meant was there are, the Bible doesn't have any errors and it can't be questioned. Now, there's a lot of you know, things behind all of that, right? Like, well, what, what's an error? 
right? What does that mean? You know, how, what do we mean when we describe that? What does it mean to question the Bible or to ask hard questions about it? This is sort of, you know, uh, you know what we have to ask about, you know, these words that start to get used. And at least, you know, what we see in the movement is that um, error has oftentimes meant anything that goes against very flat, literal, sort of almost scientific reading of the text, um, which is itself an interpretation. So what is actually being said to be inerrant a lot of times is a like American Christian interpretation of the Bible, not the Bible itself, which is kind of what we, we see pop up a lot of times. Now, I don't think the Bible is filled with errors, okay? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say that very clearly. I, I don't think that that's true, but I do, I'm not convinced necessarily this is the right way to take scripture seriously, okay? In a sense, it's actually in a lot of ways, it's kind of unserious way to take it because it's sort of, we can easily impart our own convictions into it, right? And we're treating the Bible uh, kind of as an an- just an answer book to certain things, right? So, so here's an example of that. I grew up in the Left Behind era. I don't know how many of you, like, were, were, you know, were, were growing up in this time. Like, some of us maybe were pretty young uh, and, and didn't know that. Or you didn't, if you didn't grow up in the church, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I would go so far as to say you didn't really miss anything, um, okay? But, but this is sort of an, an era where there was a lot of excitement around the end times coming. And we're kind of using the Bible as a sort of roadmap to explain certain events that are going to take place that we need to keep an eye out for because we're anticipating the return of Jesus. And we're convinced it's coming here sort of pretty soon. And it looks specifically in the book of Revelation and some of Paul's letters and some of the things that Jesus says to sort of give us that roadmap, kind of treating it as just sort of like a total explanation, kind of play-by-play of what's going to happen at the end times. And so what happened is the way people were being taught to read the Bible when they encountered that, and the way that their behaviors and, you know, what they thought was important was being formed was to be looking out for, like, antichrists. Like, as Christians, what it means to be a Christian is to be sort of alert looking out for antichrists, or to not get the mark of the beast on us, to be really careful to not have this happen to us, or be alert for signs of the times, and that will sort of let us know when this is going to happen, right? We got to be ready, got to watch out for the rapture, or something like that. So within that, if we kind of analyze what's going on there, taking scripture serious looks like kind of treating it like a textbooks with answers telling us what's going to happen in the future. Now, if you really look at Revelation, that's not really what Revelation is about, I don't think. I don't think that's a good way to sort of read what's going on in Revelation. Okay? When you actually look at who it's being written to and what it seems like John, who's the author, is sort of encouraging the people uh, that he's writing to, uh, these seven churches specifically that existed 2,000 years ago, he's telling them like how to be faithful in intense persecution, like how to think about their circumstances as they find themselves sometimes literally like, uh, you know, facing execution in, in their moment. And, it, and it's sort of unveiling the story that they live in so that they can have hope in it and believe that Jesus is going to judge all this and come back someday. All right, so you kind of see like, um, if that's how you read Revelation, I think your takeaways in terms of how you live and how you take that seriously might look a little bit different. All right, so I want to ask this question, like, what does it mean to take Scripture seriously? Uh, and I think some important takeaways, in a, like what's in a very important passage of the Bible that talks about itself, are super helpful, okay? So you, you may have heard this, one, this verse before, or this, this, this passage before. It's from 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17. So this is Paul, he's talking to, uh, to Timothy, and he says, From infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right, so what is, what is t- uh, Paul saying, you know, it means to take scripture seriously here for Timothy? I think it's, it's worth analyzing. Well, first of all, we learn that it is God-breathed. This is what Paul says. If that's true, then what's happening when we encounter scripture is it's, we're, coming, we're encountering God himself, all right? Sort of a, a self-disclosure of who he is, or a revelation, an unveiling of who God is specifically because he's, he's, he's breathed this thing into existence, right? Not facts about God or not info about, you know, stuff that he's going to do, but actually an encounter with him himself, okay? Uh, God breathes this book in the world because it's the, the book he wants us to have so that he can create relationship with us. That's sort of the intent of this, is to bring us into an encounter with God uh, specifically. And going further, Paul says specifically, its purpose is to make us wise in Jesus and to equip us, all right? So I want to talk about what, what that means. It doesn't necessarily mean just to teach us the right answers, right, or teach us uh, what to think, but it's a little bit more, I think, about, uh, in terms of teaching us how to think, how to reason, how to be wise, and how to equip us so that we can be uh, ready to go and do the good work that's been put in front of us. That's the sort of the goal or the purpose of what Scripture is, okay? And so I think Scripture, we should think of it fundamentally as it is teaching us how to think Christ-like, how to think in patterns and habits that form us to become more like Jesus, okay? That's what wisdom is about, right? Wisdom is about making you a certain kind of person, a wise person, to form you in your character and how you make decisions and how you act in the world. That's what wisdom is about. And equipping is about giving us the tools that we need to sort of move forward into whatever good work that God is calling us into. And some of that good work is going to be the same. Some of it will be unique to us. But either way, God wants us to be able to think through what it looks like for us to follow Jesus, to live like Jesus as we walk in that. Now, you'll, you'll notice here there's, that's a difference between sort of like memorizing answers, right? And, and you can think about it like this. I don't know how many of you, uh, you know... I don't know if this, they do, I've heard math has changed so much for kids, so I don't know if this is like even like a good analogy anymore. But I mean, you remember like getting math textbooks as a kid, right? And they'd have like every odd answer in the back of the book, right? And the teacher wouldn't assign the odd answers. They'd give you the even ones because they wanted you actually like learn to think about how to do math. A lot of times we treat the Bible like it's got the answers in the back and we got to go memorize the answers as opposed to actually learning how to do multiplication, Okay? And I think that's fundamentally how scripture, you know, what scripture's purpose is, is to train us how to do multiplication. So here, let me, I want to give you some examples of this, okay? For me, I'll just use myself as an example here. I've spent much of the last four years really learning and reading from the Apostle Paul, reading books, you know, written by him by scholars, reading his specific letters, reading about him in the book of Acts, um, and trying really to inhabit his mind, to sort of understand the context that he writes his letters in, thinking through situations with him, trying to understand why he says what he does to specific congregations that he's writing these letters to, um, thinking about the Christians who are reading these letters. What are the stuff they are going through? How would this impact them specifically? You know, meditating on what he says, praying on it, letting it speak into my own situations as I pastor as well, and, and then trying to have it form uh, patterns for the ministry that, that I do from that. 
right? And as I have done this, I've noticed that, like, you know, how I've acted in the middle of, like, you know, the last year and a half, which there was no class on this for us as, you know, ministry training, like how to lead a church through the middle of a pandemic and all the other stuff that's been going on the last year, okay? And, and unfortunately, there's no letter that Paul writes about this either. So, but I found that sort of inhabiting Paul's mind has really helped me to understand who, who I need to be in the midst of that and how I need to think as I make decisions, even if the, the right answers for how to make those decisions aren't always in there. Okay, and, and I found that, that that matters to me a whole lot more to, to help me know what to value, right? Instead of telling me what to think, telling me how to think of, through these situations. Now, unfortunately, the hard part about this is this isn't, this isn't easy, right? This is the hard, you know, this takes work, right? It, 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 it's harder to, to memorize an answer in the back of the math book than it is to actually, you know, learn how to do multiplication. There's a big difference between those two things, which is why teachers uh, make you try to, you know, do the even answers instead of the odd answers. They want you to, t- to teach you how to think, not just teach you how to memorize something and look it up. Now, unfortunately, like, we've all turned into this with Google, right? <laughs> we don't have to memorize anything or learn how to do anything because we can just look up Google for some answers, right? Um, but the Bible is trying to help us to, uh, to, to learn how to think for the purpose of helping us to become mature, all right? And this is important because when we are just relying on, you know, something to go tell us what to think, we're not able to grow mature anymore. We need, like, uh, you know, we're just learning rules to sort of help us go throughout life instead of learning how to think about things. So think about it like this. Um, we had all these kids on stage earlier today, right? And ideally, like right now, they probably have rules when they use scissors. That'd be my guess, Right? Okay, you don't want kid, kids, you might hurt yourself if you're immature and you're holding scissors. You might be like my sister when she was young and you might try to give yourself a haircut, right? Like there's all these different things that kids probably need to have rules in, you know, around them so that they don't do something with scissors that's going to be bad, right? Because scissors are great, but like there's also some really bad things that they can do, right? So you got, for immature people, yes, you do need to put some rules around them. But I would hope in 20 years that none of the people, who, none of the kids who are standing on stage here would still need those rules and how to use scissors, right? Ideally, they would have been taught how to use those scissors wisely so that now that they can think about ways to use the scissors in good ways, right? And that the only time they would ever need to use it to cut their hair is if they're stuck in another pandemic or something like that, okay? <laughs> um, okay, but that, you see that, right? Like, we would be keeping these kids in immaturity, if we just told them, here are all the rules with scissors, and that's all you ever need to know about scissors, right? We would be helping them mature if we taught them how to think about how to use the scissors, so now they're equipped and wise to use the scissors for good purposes in the different situations that they might find themselves in, whatever that is, scrapbooking, or I don't know, whatever that is that they're going to be doing with their scissors someday, okay? I think a lot of times we treat scripture, and honestly, Christianity in general, like just giving us rules. And what that does is it, it keeps us in immaturity when ideally we should be being taught how to think and reason so that we can approach situations that don't always have an easy answer and we know how to think through it now. And scripture is the resource that God has given us to help us to know how to think, right? To inhabit the minds of other people, to come into encounter with God himself so that we can know what it means to think and reason through different situations, okay? 
and, and, and unfortunately, like, I think we can, you know, if we're not, if, if that's not our goal as Christians, is to grow in maturity, then we're, we're keeping ourselves in immaturity, or we're keeping other people in immaturity, if that's all we talk about is the goal of Scripture. It's just an answer book, and memorize the answers, and then you'll be good to go. I don't think that's the point. I think Scripture should, we should be taking it more serious than that, right? If we really thought it had the power to help us to mature, and to grow to think like Jesus or to think like other people who have been mature, who have tried to follow God through whatever different situation. And there's a lot of different situations that people go through in Scripture. Um, that's, a better, that's a better use for it. That is taking it more seriously. Now, this takes work, like I said, right? It, it takes trial and error sometimes. It, it takes sort of really faithful meditation and prayer upon Scripture in order for us to be formed in that and, and I mean, this is why we're not alone, right? This is why, and again, Scripture, like I think we read it a lot of times, like it's just written to us as individuals, when really it's not. It's written to whole communities. Paul's writing his letters to whole churches, right? Uh, the Gospels are written to, you know, a wide audience of people. The, 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 the Old Testament is written for the nation of Israel, right? For whole groups of people so they can think together about what it looks like to, to know God and to follow him. All right, and so that means we have to work together to help each other to grow in maturity. And that's why church is so important, okay? It's why we as a church, we, we study scripture. We use it as a sort of God-breathed template for how we should live. So we as a community, we're not just forming individuals, we're forming a community of people that challenge and encourage each other who maybe come to the text from different uh, vantage points, who maybe have different understandings of it. We all grow when that's sort of our mindset as a church coming together. Right? So if the church reads scripture together in immaturity, then the whole church will stay immature. But ideally, we, you know, God wants mature churches because that is going to be salt and light in his world. And that's why we have scripture. Now, in order for us to take scripture to make us mature, we have to avoid another pitfall. And that's, I think, that can happen um, as we grow. We, we, we naturally start to think we're just, you know, we think I'm mature, I'm smarter than everybody else, right? And I think this can happen to us too. As we read scripture a lot of times, and we do grow, we maybe grow, we maybe learn to look at it in, in you know, in deeper ways than what we, we started at, we can start to think, well, I, I'm, I know better than God, or I know better than scripture, the people who wrote it. And we have to avoid that pitfall as well. And so this is, uh, to, to kind of close here, I want to talk about, uh, I, I want to end with this quote by a guy named N.T. Wright. And he says, we need to let scripture have its way with us and not try to have our way with scripture. Okay? This is a danger I think we um, need to just be aware of, right? And so oftentimes we're going to read scripture, we're going to grow, and we're going to start to think, man, maybe I know better than Paul did. You know, I, maybe I know better than what these writers thought of, right? I, I'm kind of advanced beyond a place where scripture can still speak to me. And, and if scripture is God-breathed, like, it's going to continue to challenge us. We're going to find that we can go deeper and deeper and deeper. The more and more we study it for, to be equipped more and more and more. All right, and I think that should be our expectation when we approach Scripture. When you take something serious, uh, it, it occupies your thoughts and attention. When we think we've grown beyond something, we don't think about it anymore. We think about the stuff we think is important. But if we're going to treat Scripture serious, we're going to sort of spend lots of time studying it. We're going to take it seriously. And I think we show what we think of Scripture by how much time we actually spend in it right? We, we show how serious we are about scripture when we spend time being soaked in it, right? Meditating on it, praying on it. I think we show 
we don't think scripture is that serious, or we're too mature from it when we don't spend a lot of time reading it, okay? And, and I just, I just want to challenge us to, 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 to take scripture serious, believing that as we go deeper in it, the God-breathed aspect of that will continue to make us wise and equip us for good work the more and more we go, right? So, okay, this is what we see in Jesus, right? He, he took it so seriously, he obeyed it. He is spending time praying over scripture. It's clear he knew it very well, right? It's, it's clear he knew it very well. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to have that as well. We need to be challenged by it, right? We need to be willing to allow ourselves to be challenged by scripture. If we are never challenged by scripture, we're not taking it very serious. And we have to allow it to do its work. So for us as a church, we want to be a church that takes, uh, that, uh, that scripture has had its way with, okay? That's my goal for us as a church at Res City, as we approach this topic, is that we will never say that we're a serious that doesn't, or a church that doesn't take scripture seriously, and that scripture hasn't had its way with. That is formed into Christ's image because of that. That takes scripture as something to help us as a community think through the different challenges and things that pop up in our world. Okay, that's really what we as a church want to be, and this is why every Sunday we spend time under the Word of God as a community studying it. And this is why during the week in our community groups, which are our main sort of source of the church gathering during the week, we're also spending time in scripture, right? Being challenged by it, letting it have its way with us and, and, and growing in maturity more and more. And I, and I believe we see the fruits of that as a church here uh, the more and more we do that. So, so let me pray and then we'll do uh, some time of question and response. Lord, I pray that you would help us to um, encounter your word, which is God-breathed, which has been uh, given to equip us and to make us wise, Lord. Um, I pray that we would not uh, be kept in immaturity for any reason, but that you would help us to grow in immaturity as we take your word seriously um, and as we let it uh, uh, have its way with us, God. Help us to do that, not just as individuals here sitting here or, or listening to this at some point, um, but as a, as a church community, God. I pray that the fruit of that will be seen in us as Res City and will be clear uh, to everyone around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to end with uh, some question and response. This, again, these are not answers. Uh, I'm not claiming to be the answer guy. I am claiming to be the guy that will give a response to an answer, and you guys can be the judges of how good of a response it is. <laughs> so, all right, Julie, we have anything? We do. Okay, um, start with some big ones. If Jesus rose from the dead and fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, then isn't it antiquated? Do we still need the Old Testament? Um, and this yep. person makes the comment that often he just sees Christians treat the Old Testament as a book of morality or prophecy, but mm-hmm. no other purpose. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, um, I mean, I, I, I think that that is a wrong way to understand the Old Testament. Um, the, the prophets, good, good example, like we do treat the prophets a lot of times as like predictors of something that happens in Jesus. And if that's all that they are, then when, um, you know, like Jesus, you know, we find some fulfillment in Jesus, then we just think that prophet, cool, no more use for me anymore, right? When in reality, the, the prophets, again, when we understand the context that the prophets are um, like they're writing their stuff down in or that they're doing their ministry in, we find often that the situations that they're doing that ministry in can look a lot like the stuff that we go through today as well. And so what was God's message to them in that time has sort of enduring relevance for us as we follow Jesus. Um, and I do, I do think it's sort of like, 
um, you know, just because Jesus fulfills the Old Testament doesn't mean that, like, if, listen, if, if he's fulfilling the Old Testament by embodying it, by being true Israel, by being true humanity, by sort of being the one who sort of unlocks all of the things that were, you know, Israel was supposed to be and didn't always fulfill, then that means that when we're becoming like Jesus, we are supposed to be living this fulfilled version of the people of God that we find uh, in the Old Testament, that God has already started back all the way to Adam and Eve, that he continues on through Abraham and Moses and David and all the other people that are around in that time. That is, that is, that is who we're being formed into, uh, the image of this sort of fulfilled version of that. And so uh, I don't think God is just saying stuff that he intends to be you know, disregarded and kind of cut off. If anything, I think that um, that gives sort of shape to how we you know, think in depth about what Jesus is supposed to be. Because like, just because God says stuff to the people in Israel doesn't mean they always listen, but you know what I mean? Just because they didn't listen and Jesus comes to fulfill it for them doesn't mean that what he said is not still sort of supposed to be true of us. So, yeah. All right, on the flip side, a question about the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, are the New Testament epistles, or that just means letters, scripture. Do you think that the authors had any intention for their letters to be gathered together as a holy book that would still be read globally thousands of years later? Yeah, it's a really good question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I don't think any, anyone who says that they know the answer to that is lying, okay? I'm just going to say that. Like, there are a lot of people that will come around and be like, oh, well, uh, you know, we don't find any evidence necessarily that they, they thought this was scriptures. This is a letter they were writing. Therefore, they never intended it to be sort of seen as authoritative to the rest of the church. Well, that's an argument from silence too, okay? Uh, what we do know is pretty early on, the church is taking these books very seriously. And there's no sort of point in which that we can find that they're not taking these letters serious. Um, I also, uh, this is, I'm not going to get into the weeds on this, but like, uh, uh, there's a really inter- some really interesting information that Paul seemed to assume that his letters were being read by other congregations as well, um, and not just the, the letters that he, you know, he's writing them to. There's some really good uh, evidence of that. I'll just, just leave it there. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, the, like, and again, I think what we, <laughs> how we think of inspiration and God breathing, you know, these texts into existence, like, maybe if that's your question, maybe we need to rethink, well, what does that look like? Because if you think, you know, this can only be God's word if, like, someone went into a trance, and then they woke up, and there was a bunch of, there was a scroll in front of them, and they'd written a bunch of stuff down, and that's the only way it could be written by God, I really don't think that's how uh, anybody at the time thought how scripture came to be. Um, I think that they thought, we're writing with the Holy Spirit behind us. We're sort of, we're apostles. We're important uh, people in this movement that God is working through and the, the Spirit is working in us. We're writing this stuff down. We, you know, we all agree that this is something all Christians should believe and it sort of just became what we call the New Testament canon uh, today. Just, and that's the same way that the Jewish scriptures were put together as well. So, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good question, though. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a few other good questions about how the canon came to be and different translations and things like that, but I think for sake of time, we'll save them for uh, the YouTube video. So. Can I just say one thing on that real quick? Because yeah. I know this is probably what's behind it. Okay, um, have any of you read the Da Vinci Code? Yeah, you guys know how you know the Da Vinci Code is like, at the Council of Nicaea, a bunch of people got together and they cut off all these other books in the Bible so that we can't have them anymore. And now we know that that's the case and we have to ask that the early church all think... There was no council, including Nicaea. They didn't even talk about scripture at Nicaea. There was no council that made a decision. These books are in, these books are out. That's just a historical fiction. 
okay? It's good fiction, it was a good book, okay? But it's not the way that it actually, the New Testament actually developed, okay? So just throwing that out there, that's something you hear a lot of times and it's just not true. Yeah, if you want the long version to these answers, um, you can, we'll put together a YouTube video on our YouTube channel with uh, the rest of the questions that we got.